0: Good morning, everybody. So I was minding my own business uh, in my office the other day, and one of my colleagues comes in, and he leans against the doorway, and he said, there's so much about parenting no one ever told me before I became a parent. So he has a 16-year-old daughter, and he proceeds to tell me, I'm teaching my daughter to drive. And he said, my marriage has never been so stressed. He said, I love my wife, but she does not have the spiritual gift of teaching people to drive. And so, as he explained, it's fallen to him to teach their 16-year-old daughter to drive. Now, I'm not sure how many of you ever had the joy of teaching someone to drive. Yeah, yeah, a lot of you are raising your hand already, exactly. Some of you are in therapy because of that, and you're still not able to talk about it. It's a scary thing. He said to me, Getting into the passenger seat and watching my daughter scoot the driver's seat all the way up and peer over the steering wheel was terrifying. And and like me, my colleague has a firm belief that if you don't know how to drive a standard transmission, you don't know how to drive. I mean, don't give me this stuff about automatic. And so he's teaching his daughter to drive on a stick shift. And so he said, Brian, I kept pushing the the floor in front of me as if there were pedals there, and they're not. They're on the other side where the driver is. And if you've ever taught someone to drive a stick shift, you know how it works, right? You lurch forward, you lurch backward. You stall the car. And he said, we were doing okay until we got to the hill by our house. And sure enough, she stalls it out and it rolls backwards and she stalls it out and it rolls backwards and there are just a stream of very expensive cars behind their car. (laughs) And he just said to me, it is nerve wracking. And if you've ever taught someone to drive or if you remember when you learned to drive, you know what I'm talking about. And my colleagues' experiences teaching someone to drive, I think has a lot to do with some very wise words that Paul wants us to hear this morning. So if you have a device with a Bible on it, or if you have a real Bible, meet me in Philippians chapter 3, because I want to share with you a startling statement that Paul makes. And honestly, you probably are not aware that Paul made this statement. And I understand why. You're in such a hurry to see and hear the stuff around this statement that you've probably never realized it's there. It's okay. I I, I forgive you for that. (laughs) So the third chapter of Philippians starts off, and Paul talks about rejoicing in the Lord, and he has a few things to say about people that are teaching things that shouldn't be taught. And then he reflects on his own life, and he talks about all his kind of spiritual bona fides and all that kind of stuff. And then he talks about pressing on to earn the prize and all of that. But then... If you look at verse 15 of Philippians chapter 3, Paul says this, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, well, that too, God will make clear to you. That statement is startling. All of us, us who are mature should take such a view. Now, that's startling because oftentimes we tend to think of faith in the same way that we think of driver's licenses. You know, I've got a driver's license. When I surrendered my driver's license from Washington State, where I lived before I came here, I shed a small tear, because now I have an Oklahoma driver's license, which is fine, although I'm here to tell you the way that you get your driver's licenses and tags here in Oklahoma, it's a little wonky. (laughs) <laughs> a little long. But this particular license only says that I am recognized by the state of Oklahoma to drive. It says nothing about whether I'm a mature driver. <laughs> you see, the fact of the matter is, my colleague, as he teaches his 16-year-old to drive, he is in the passenger seat of the vehicle with an immature driver. And we sometimes think that faith is like that. Well, of course I'm a Christian. Of course I have faith. I was baptized on such and such a day in such and such a place. Or you might say, well, of course I am a a faithful Christian. I have been in the body for X number of years. But Paul wants to say that's not how it works. Rather than it being either or, he suggests that there's this scale, this continuum. And over here is a faith that is less mature. And over here is a faith that is more mature in the same way that I've been driving ever since the day of my 16th birthday, December 2nd, 1980. (laughs) I was the kid that was there at the DMV on my birthday, knocking on the door saying, here I am, can I take the test? That didn't mean I was a mature driver. But Paul seems to suggest to these Christians in this Roman citizen colony of Philippi that there are people who have a mature faith, And people whose faith is still under construction. And that's startling. And I have to be honest with you, for me, that is a completely different way of looking at faith. Listen to what Paul says in the same chapter of Philippians in verse 10. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Paul says this. This is Paul, the one to whom Jesus appeared on the road to Damascus. This is Paul, the one who's been beaten and who's been threatened and who's been left for dead. If anybody is not in a position to say, you know, I want to know about Christ, it's Paul. It's like Albert Einstein saying, I wish I knew more about physics. (laughs) How does that whole physics thing work? But Paul recognizes it's kind of a dirty secret your faith is always under construction. And there's a mature faith over there somewhere, and maybe you're here, and maybe you're here, and maybe you're here, and maybe you're way over here. And that's fine. Because the fact of the matter is, Paul suggests that there are some things that are related to a mature faith that we oftentimes don't realize. Now I could speak for hours about what this mature faith is and what it looks like, but I wanna just take a moment to point out two things about it that I think are rather important, even from Paul's letter to the Philippians, and then if I may be so bold, as to talk about my own life and to reference the Bible class that some of us shared this morning from the video Irresistible. So about this mature faith business, Whatever else a mature faith is, I think Paul suggests that a mature faith is a faith that is able to have a wider view of our faith in Christ. And by wider view, I mean we're just able to put things into context. So, for example, earlier, a few weeks ago, someone, I'm assuming, preached from the first chapter of Philippians. And Paul makes another startling statement in the first chapter of Philippians. A statement, by the way, that most of us today would never make in public because in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 18 here is what he said well we'll back up and actually say in verse 15 hey it's true that some people preach Christ out of envy and rivalry and others out of goodwill okay the latter do so in love knowing that I put here for the defense of the gospel but the former man they preach Christ out of selfish ambition not sincerely Supposing they can stir up trouble for me. But what does it matter? What does it matter? Preaching Christ out of envy or ill motive? What does it matter? Paul says, the important thing is that in every way, whether false motives or true, Christ is preached. As the students that I teach every day say, They're not good with words sometimes my students. That means that blows my mind. Paul has a wider view of things. Paul sees things, I think, because of the maturity of his faith in a different way than I would, because I'm the guy that all too often is back over here going, No! That guy's preaching out of envy. He can't do that. And Paul, I think, understands, look, Christ is preached. God can work with that. Yet even Paul, who stands over here on this spectrum and can say that, is still wanting to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. My friends, the reality is that there is such a thing as a more mature, and I'm working on it, mature faith. And part of it is there's a wider view to things. Now, let me share the second part of this that I think, for me, has been a revelation, and I don't know most of you at all, but I will tell you this, in my own life, in my own experience in faith, ever since I was baptized on the 9th of July, 1979, I have found that a mature faith allows me to be comfortable saying this. I don't know. I don't know. How, how can you explain the Trinity? God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, three in one? I don't know. I've heard the egg analogy, you know, the shell and the white and the yolk. I don't know. How do you explain the fact that God has some really weird stuff in Leviticus where you're ripping the heads off of birds and dripping the blood and pouring it on people? I don't know. I don't know. How do the dinosaurs fit into the timeline of things? I don't know. No idea. The point of the matter is this. For me, a mature faith Has allowed me to get to the point where I can say, I I don't know. And I'm okay with that. Did Adam have a belly button or not? I don't know. I'm okay with that. (laughs) You know? I I don't know. Why did God see fit to have a chosen people? That seems like favoritism to me, but okay, I can go with that. Here's my point. This mature faith is something that you have to take into account. And so that raises an interesting question, which is, okay, why is there this mature faith thing? Why isn't there just faith or no faith? And I think the reality is it's because real faith is hard. It's complex. Earlier in Bible class that I attended here at Oak Crest, we watched a video, and the reference in the video was to John chapter 6, where Jesus has just told his disciples, hey, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you don't have any part in me because my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Now, as you might imagine, that kind of sounds like cannibalism. (laughs) And so a lot of Jesus' followers at that point in verse 60 of John chapter 6 said, whoa, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And they began to bail out on the Jesus thing. Real faith is hard. In the very first verse here in Philippians chapter 3, Here's what Paul says. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Have you seen the news lately? Rejoice in the Lord. Yeah, it's kind of hard to do that when they're bombing you. You see, I read recently a a blog post from a Christian in a Ukrainian city who said this. Why is God allowing bombs to fall on my city? Where is God in all of this? Why does God not stop this." That's hard. That is really, really hard. And I'm not sure I have an answer for that. One of my students a few years ago told me, Brian, I'm kind of down right now, so forgive me if I'm not as talkative in class. My neighbor had just passed away. And my student's neighbor is someone who had just finished about 18 months of chemotherapy and was cancer-free and got to ring the bell. Ding! And was killed in a car accident on the way home from the hospital. What do I say to a grieving family? I, I'm not sure I can explain that. Real faith, rejoicing in the Lord, is hard. It's so hard. You know, if Jesus' disciples struggled with faith, it shouldn't surprise us that we struggle. A good friend of an elder in a church back in Portland, Oregon, where I preached for 12 years, and he said, Brian, if Jesus' disciples who ate with him and followed him and saw blind people be given sight and dead people be raised and storms calmed, if they sometimes had a hard time with their faith, it shouldn't surprise us that we have a hard time with our faith. Real faith is hard. And so it makes sense that there would be a, I'm working on it, I'm not quite as mature as I could be in my faith yet, And then there's a, I'm doing better with it. I'm a little more mature in my faith. That makes sense to me. So that raises the question, okay, if you think that a mature faith is something you want to attain, how do you do that? So if you're here this morning at Oak Crest on a Sunday morning, when you could be at the lake, or you could be making a big Sunday lunch, or you could be anywhere else, how do you attain that faith? And I think part of the answer is here in Philippians chapter 3. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 4, Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, the stuff of this world, I have more. And then he goes on and he lists all his achievements. Born on the eighth day, right? Hebrew of Hebrews, tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee, I'm zealous, and then, as we read a little while ago, he basically says, "I got to throw all that away." How do you attain a mature faith? Experience and reflection. Experience and reflection. You see, Paul, Paul recognizes as he looks back on his life. You know what? I, I had it going on, and then Jesus broke into my life, and I realized I didn't have it going on, and he thinks about his experiences. He thinks about the people that have taken a vow to kill him. And he thinks about being left for dead outside of a city. And he thinks about being beaten with a Roman whip. And he thinks about all that he has seen in his ministry thus far. And he basically says, you know what, as I think about that and reflect on that, what matters is Jesus Christ. And so I would suggest that if you want to mature faith among one of many things you could do is to consider the experiences you've had so far in life. So for one Ukrainian citizen, there are questions. Why is God allowing this to happen? The bombs are falling on us. What's going on? My world is falling apart. And for another missionary, a guy named Mike Soto. Mike Soto used to preach for a church in Portland, Oregon. I knew him a bit. And he and his family, his wife and his young daughters, uh, were missionaries in Ukraine. I say were because they were chased out of Ukraine because of the invasion of that country about a month ago or so. Now, for many people, that's an understandable challenge to your faith. But Mike Soto said this. My family and I are well. We were able to make it out of Ukraine to Poland. And as we were traveling along, we met two Ukrainians, Yana and Tanya, a grandmother and granddaughter. They were distraught about what was happening, and so we tried to comfort them. We invited them to travel with us to the Polish border where we hoped to find refuge. They accepted, and they rode with us. We love to see how God is working, even in difficult times. Mike Soto continues about his experiences. Our daughters are doing well. The things we saw as we left the Ukraine would blow your mind. But they both said, quote, we've had a crazy adventure for Jesus that we will remember the rest of our lives. We want to go back to Ukraine. Are you kidding me? That's a mature faith. That's experiencing the difficulties of life and yet maintaining a steadfast faith in Jesus Christ. If Mike Soto's young daughters can do that, surely... I can do that. So if you want a mature faith, I think Paul's words here in Philippians, as he reflects on all that he had and what he would give up, it tells us that one path to maturity is to reflect on our experiences and, frankly, to have lived experiences, just like, you know how you become a more mature driver? Drive. <laughs> drive in the sunshine. Drive in the snow. Drive. Up. Okay, don't drive on the ice. That's a bad idea. But you drive in all kinds of weather conditions. You drive on the freeway. You drive on the backcountry roads. You you drive on city streets, and you especially drive carefully in parking lots. Because as I told my kids when I taught them to drive, parking lots are the most dangerous part of driving. Thank you. (laughs) As I look out over this crowd, I see a lot of people who probably have been faithful Christians for a lot of years. It's not enough to become mature just because you drive a lot doesn't mean you're a mature driver you know what i mean the mature drivers are the ones that drive a lot and then they reflect on that oh yeah that's right when i drive on snow i can't just stand on the brake <laughs> i have to tap it gently oh that's right when it rains really hard here in oklahoma and my tires are a little bald i'm prone to hydroplaning and when I do that, I have to turn the wheel a certain way and not the other way. That's the way to become a mature driver, and that's the way to become a mature Christian. And so it occurs to me then that there are two observations that need to be made about this mature faith. And I'll close with them. Number one, you got to honor the fact that some people's faith will be in a different place than yours It just will. Some people's faith is over here while you're over here. Or you might be over here and someone else's faith is over there. Paul writes about this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, he talks about meat being sacrificed to idols, which was a big deal way back in the day. And Paul basically says, look, you know, you've got these people over here that can't do that. And you've got these people over here that are okay with eating that meat. And if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 8 carefully, Paul essentially says, you know what, you've got to take into account those differences and find a way to make it work. And in Romans chapter 15, he says you've got some people that say, this day is really important, and other people say, what, are you kidding me? That day is not important. And some people that are okay doing this, and other people like, you can't do that. And if you read Romans 15, Paul says you can't be judging each other. What's more important is getting along. Look, I grew up in Arizona. I grew up in Phoenix. It's hot in Phoenix. In the summertime, 110, 115, I love it. I grew up swimming in a pool, in my swimsuit, with girls (laughs) who were in their swimsuits. And it was great. There were many Sunday nights and we had a devotional at our youth minister's house and we all went swimming. I remember when I came here to Oklahoma Christian to come to college in the 1980s and I said that, To someone, they looked at me like I was the biggest sinner in the world. And they said, you were mixed bathing? And I said, well, we weren't bathing. We were swimming. Okay, there's (laughs) a big difference there. Hold on. (laughs) But the fact of the matter is that for me, that was not a big deal. But I came to find out that for some people, that was a big deal. And so you know what? I stopped talking about it. You have to honor that. And second of all, it occurs to me that some things in our faith you just can't get until your faith is mature. My students at the university, at Oklahoma Christian University, they struggle more with two things than anything else. One of the things they struggle with, quite frankly, is the hypocrisy and the dysfunction they have seen in churches and other Christians. Someday, my friends, a lot of people are gonna have a lot to answer for when they stand before the Lord. Because many of my students have seen leaders in the church, some of them their own parents, act and say one thing on Sundays and act and do other things on Tuesdays. They have been a part of churches that have wounded them and their families. And so for many of my students, they have a hard time after they graduate, walking through the doors of a place like this. Now, I am 57 years old. I've been a baptized believer since the 9th of July, 1979. I've gotten to a point where I can separate the beauty and the power of God's church, of the called out, the ecclesia, from the stupid, sinful, dumb, hurtful things that people do. I can separate that out. But my students aren't there yet, most of them. Many of them. They put those two together and they just, they say to me, I just can't, I just can't do church, Brian. I just can't do it. I, I can't, I can't do it. If that's what church is about, I can't do it. And no matter how hard, or how often I try and say to them, no, 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 That's not, for, for every one of those, there are 10 of these. But in my experience, it takes a little bit of maturity to get to that point. And maybe it takes a little bit of that maturity to get to that point when bombs fall on you from the Russian airplanes. And maybe it takes that kind of maturity to understand a lot of things about our faith. There are very few songs that have been sung by Linda Ronstadt, Dolly Parton, Elvis Presley. But one of them that all of them have sung, and maybe Taylor Swift, who knows, is called Farther Along. You know the refrain to that song, don't you? Farther along, we'll know all about it. Farther along, we'll understand why. Cheer up, my brother. Live in the sunshine. We'll understand it all by and by. Now, for years, I used to hear that song. We sang it at the Church of Christ in which I grew up in Phoenix, And we sang it (laughs) slow, (laughs) like really slow. (laughs) And I always thought that that meant, you know, someday in heaven, we'll have all of our questions answered. God, did Adam have a belly button? God, what is up with this ripping the heads off the bird thing in Leviticus? But more recently, I've come to think, you know, maybe the lyrics to that song refer not just to heaven, but maybe we'll understand it all by and by refers to me getting to this point in my faith. And I'm more mature and I can say, yes, people do dumb things in God's church, but that doesn't change how I feel about the church. And so I think for me, I have to be honest and tell you that one of the things I think is true about a mature faith is that some things you just can't get until you get there. And I offer that as an encouragement. To encourage you, as Paul says here in Philippians chapter 3, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal (laughs) to win the prize for which God has called. And I believe that given the context of Philippians chapter three, whatever else is Paul is referring to in that passage, he's referring to this idea that I press on to gain a mature faith. It's not just that he wants to claim the prize of heaven, he wants mature faith. And so I invite all of us to, to try and get to hear. And if you're here, it's okay. You're still under construction. And if you're o- over here, it's okay. You're still under construction. And if you're way over here, mm-hmm. or stop <laughs> It's okay. Because you're still under construction. And I'm naive enough or idealistic enough to believe that one of the reasons that God puts us together in community is to help us all Get closer to over here. And so, in particular, as we prepare to share the Lord's Supper together, I think it's appropriate that that particular observance be folded into what it means to have a mature faith. Because to those whose faith is not quite where it could be, it's just grape juice and, and a cracker. Or, more recently, styrofoam. <laughs> <laughs> But for so many of us whose faith is more this direction, it is so much more. And so let's take the Lord's Supper together as people that, among other things that we share in common, are on a journey toward a mature faith. Let's share in the Lord's Supper.